The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2015 Twin Cities Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. Um, first of all, good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So, um, today, we are going to talk about mercy. And we will, I want to go from big picture mercy down to uh, mercy and you and over to the opportunities that I collected. So what I did was I emailed about a dozen different people that are heads of ministries to say, what are some opportunities that our students can get involved in? So this is, and some of you are no longer students now, right? Some of you who just graduated. Oh, wow, quite a number of you. Congratulations. You worked hard, so good job. Uh, let me pray for us. So, Father, as we begin, I pray that you would impress on all of us here the wonderful, loving kindness that you have poured out on us, your children, and I pray that you help us to become like you in mercy. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, college, I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, the four-year Bible school. And uh, my, uh, what do you call it, degree or major was uh, applied linguistics. So I'm a real word nerd. I love words. I can read like six languages. I can only understand three of the six that I'm actually reading. Uh, and I speak Mandarin, and I speak Spanish, um, and of course I speak English as well. And uh, so I, I'm fascinated by words. I almost always start out by talking about words. And uh, the word that we're talking about today is mercy. Um, here's the definition for words for you. You can, you can test it out. Just mine. Uh, you can play with it. In linguistics, we say that word, a word is whatever is in between two spaces. Isn't that interesting? Whatever is in between, right? Like lol can be a word. And whatever is between two spaces. Here's, here's my definition. Words are ideas that have been captured by culture. Words are ideas that have been captured by culture. Sometimes new words are created to capture new phenomena, uh, such as when, imagine, the first Apple computer was sent to China, and Chinese is such an ancient culture uh, with a writing system that's completely inflexible. You cannot make a new word in Chinese, right? Because there's no alphabet. So you just got what you got. So what is that box that Steve Jobs just sent us, right? And uh, they call it a now, which anyone know what that means? Yeah. So give me the exact translation of now. <laughs> yes, but give me the what's what does what's in uh, brain. electric brain? Yeah, <laughs> electric brain, right? So here's an example of making a new word to cr- capture a new idea. Thin now, never before has electricity and brain. That usually equals dead, right? <laughs> um, 
2014, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary added uh, these entries, okay? New words in the English language, and we are flexible in the Chinese and the English language because we have letters and sounds we can mix match. We have prefix, suffix, infix, stuff like that. Um, so crowdfunding, new for 2014. Fracking. Uh, hashtag, selfie, pho. Uh, these are all entries. Uh, so sometimes new words are made to capture new phenomena. Now, pho is a very old phenomenon, but new, new to America. Other times... Old words are updated with new meaning. Okay, so uh, the original tweet was actually, I taught, I taught a putty tat, right? That was said by Tweety Bird. Okay, but we, we don't think of tweet anymore that way, do we? You would never think of Tweety Bird as the bird that uses hashtags in his 140 character statements. So we have taken the word tweet and we've readopted it because our culture has changed. And so our language is catching up. And so we, we assign new meaning to old words. And then, this is where it gets interesting, between languages in translation, um, there are words, every single translation you've ever heard, like, hey, how do you say uh, hello in Spanish? Hola, right? Um, how do you say how are you? Como estas? Uh, every translation you've ever heard is what we call a dynamic equivalent. Dynamic means changing, moving. An equivalent is uh, almost the same, right? Almost the same. Um, so this means that since words are ideas that have been captured by culture, and by definition, no two cultures are the same, every English translation of a foreign word, foreign meaning not English, can almost never convey the original idea from the language of origin. Okay, so here, here's a couple examples. This is from my friend who's a missionary in China. And uh, there was a sign in the supermarket that said, Can anyone tell me what that means? Anyone? Uh, you can only use it once. Yeah. That's right. It's not reusable, right? So this is a disposable item, right? So it's like whatever, yeah, paper plates or whatever it was. I don't know what was in the aisle. But the way it was translated was somehow a literal translation. You guys have seen this, right? Chinglish.com is like full of these. So in, in Chinese it said, and down below it said, one time sex thing. <laughs> Bad translation, right? This is where dynamic equivalence affects the way translation works. Um, here's another example, less racy. Uh, in Spanish, the word llave, who knows what llave means in Spanish? Key. key, yeah. So it could be uh, like key to a door, right? This is a llave. And even in Spanish, uh, the word key works because on a piano, we have piano keys. And what do they call keys on a piano in Spanish? Llave, right? Same. So, oh, that's pretty good. But if you keep stretching it, they also use uh, the valve of a trumpet. They say llave, right? Una trompeta tiene llaves, right? So... But in, in English, we don't call them keys on trumpet. We call them vowels. So you see how translation is only ever so perfect. And words really need to stretch. And again, the reason why that happens is because words are essentially ideas that have been captured from a culture. A culture takes an idea and we assign it some meaning. 
Uh, we assign it, a, 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 excuse me, a handle, a title. <laughs> so here we go. Biblical scholars, I, I'm actually going to read a little bit here. Biblical scholars <laughs> have often complained that the word hesed, so here we start talking about the word mercy, the word hesed in the Hebrew Bible is difficult to translate into English because it really has no precise equivalent in our language. English versions usually try to represent the word hesed with such words as loving kindness or mercy or steadfast love, right? Psalm 63, your steadfast love is better than life, therefore my lips will praise you. Sometimes loyalty, but the full meaning of the word cannot be conveyed without an explanation such as the one given below in the article. So this is just, I took excerpts from this fantastic article written by a guy named Norman Snave in 1944 in a book uh, entitled Distinctive Ideas. Ideas. Distinctive Ideas of the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, loving kindness. This is a biblical word invented by Miles Coverdale. He's the author of one of the first English translations of the Bible. So in the 1500s, you couldn't go to the bookstore and buy an English Bible. In fact, you would be put to death if you had a copy of the English Bible because the uh, church thought the common person cannot read the Bible. You have to be trained through seminary and being a monk or whatever it is for you to understand the Bible. They said, we can't just translate the Bible for people, right? Tyndale, he was executed for giving us an English Bible. And... Coverdale, uh, he did also an English translation called the Coverdale Bible, 1535. And he is actually the person that invented the word loving kindness. And again, he invented it simply in order to find a dynamic equivalent of the word hesed. In other words, hesed is an idea so foreign to 1535 England that there was no equivalent. It's so foreign to... Our world today, there is no equivalent. We have to find multiple ways to convey this idea called hesed. This is what we're talking about today. So, um, the word is only used in cases where there's some, I'm going to read as fast as I can to get through, okay? In some recognized tie between the parties concerned, it is not used indiscriminately of kindness in general, haphazard, kindly deeds. This is why Coverdale was careful to avoid using the word kindness in respect to God's dealings with his people Israel. So we begin to see hesed has something to do with covenant relationship, not just being nice. Okay? God's loving kindness is sure that, it, excuse me, God's loving kindness or God's hesed is that sure love which will not let Israel go. Not all Israel's persistent waywardness could ever destroy God's hesed. Though Israel be faithless, yet God remains faithful still. This steady, persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of wayward Israel is the essential meaning of the Hebrew word hesed, which is translated loving kindness. Isn't that a beautiful word? We, we, I want that word in my life. I want that word in my culture. I want to create that. In our culture, the widening of the meaning of the Hebrew hesed, which is used as the covenant word and especially of the covenant between God and Israel, is due to the history of God's dealings with his covenant people. The continual waywardness of Israel 
has made it inevitable that if God is never going to let Israel go, then his relationship to his people must be mainly Hesed. Okay, so here's the problem. God wants to have this loving relationship with Israel. They keep running away and spitting in his face and sinning against him. So how is God going to continue in this relationship with Israel that keeps running away? It's Hesed. That is what makes God, that's the description of how God relates to his, his covenant people. The loving kindness of God toward Israel is therefore wholly undeserved on Israel's part. If Israel received the proper treatment for her stubborn refusal to walk in God's way, there would be no prospect of her of anything for her of anything but destruction. Since God's demand for right action never wavers one whit. Strict, however, as the demands for righteousness are, the prophets were sure that God's yearnings for the people of his choice are stronger still. Hallelujah. Here is the great dilemma of the prophets. And indeed, the dilemma of us all to this day. Which comes first? Mercy or justice? And uh, God has pursued us with hesed. So this, this is what we're talking about today. This word called mercy, this idea called mercy is hesed, okay? So here, I, want you to, I want you to get this. Mercy is not an idea that came from man. Mercy is not a idea that came from any human culture. Mercy came directly from the mind of God. Just like a zebra came directly from the mind of God. Right? He just made it up. He just thought, I'm going to have lion food and it's going to be black and white. Uh, yeah, sorry. Who said that? Where's the herbivore among us? Um, mercy is an idea from God's culture which is a culture that we are called to adopt. Mercy from the scripture. So here we go. Th this idea, the word hesed we were talking about came from the Bible. I'm going to find a few places and I'm going to read them to you. Okay? Micah 6.8. Um, the, the problem here is I'm a sinner before God. How do I make that right? Okay? Old Testament. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be, plead, be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Now you think about oil as an expensive commodity, wrought from much to make little. Now if I give tens of thousands of rivers of oil to the Lord, will that satisfy him? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You hear about child sacrifice, right? Back in the olden days, they would um, lay their babies out or have them killed to try to appease the gods for their own, for their own sin. Micah, the prophet, says to the people of Israel, he has told you, Oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. So it's, it's not calves a year old. It's not thousands of rams. It's not tens of thousands of rivers of oil. It's not kill your kid. 
It is to do justly, to love Hesed, to walk humbly with your God. So we are called to embrace this foreign cultural concept called Hesed in our own culture. We are called to be like God in that verse. Isaiah 58. The context here is uh, all these people are trying to be right with God and uh, they're like fasting. So they, they take off their normal clothes, they put on sackcloth, they put ashes on their head to let everyone know, boy, I'm fasting and I'm, I'm religious right now. And uh, God says, that's, that's garbage. Uh, Isaiah 58 verse 6, is this not the fast that I choose? So he's going to describe what a real fast looks like. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. If you pour yourself, I'm jumping to verse 10 here. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the new day. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. This is what God is saying. You see the connection with Micah 6 eight. So how do we make ourselves right with God? Uh, is it to act broken and dress a certain way, um, to put ashes on our head? Or uh, in, our, in our modern day, uh, is it to look a certain way? Is it to adopt a certain church culture that you see? Is This is what pious people look like. This is what good people look like. Um, that, that's, that, is not, that is not what God has called us to. God has called us to loving, loving kindness, loving mercy, and, and act that way. Uh, I'm just going to, here's one more, Luke 10, New Testament now. Uh, you guys know the good story of the Good Samaritan. So there's a guy going on Jericho. He sees someone that's beaten up and he sees him. Right? He sees the guy. Here's the key verse, verse 33. But a Samaritan has journeyed, came to where the man broken, left naked for dead was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Uh, literally in the Greek, splachna, his stomach turned. Right? He was sick to see someone so hurt. Uh, he went to him and bound up his wounds. He took care of him. He was moved. So, definition of mercy. I gave you a definition of word. Here's a definition of mercy. Mercy is compassion in action. Mercy is compassion in action. And I, I think that would jive well with what is hesed, Hesed is not God up in heaven feeling great feels about us. Um, Hesed is 
God loving us, sending Jesus. I mean, the, the greatest distance that was ever traveled was Jesus coming to the earth to die on the cross for us. That's Hesed. If you want to see a clear picture of Hesed, look at Jesus on the cross. Man, that is loving kindness. So, mercy is compassion in action. If this is true, there are at least two steps that are needed to get us to be merciful people, which is my goal today. I don't know if you got that. I want you to be merciful people. We need to feel compassion and we need to act on that feeling. Mercy is compassion in action. So you need to feel compassion and you need to act on that feeling. How do you feel compassion? Uh, First, know this. Mercy is in your blood. As a Christian, mercy is in your blood. Mercy is about identity, your identity. Who do you think you are? If I can convince you that you are a product of mercy, you will be a merciful person. Uh, Listen to Romans 5. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, his hesed for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me just read verse 5 one more time. But God, being rich in mercy, rich in hesed, he is the fountain of hesed for our world. Right? It's, it's, I kind of imagine uh, Thor coming from Asgard with his Asgardian ways that are foreign to us. It's like Christ. He came with his heavenly ways. That didn't make sense here. It broke all of our paradigms. What do you mean, love your enemies? I stab my enemies. I don't love my enemies. Jesus was full of hesed. He created a fountain of hesed. He put it in the church. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. As a Christian, this is our story. Hesed is our story. If someone were to write a biography of our lives, these verses would be our origin story. Okay, so here's a few origin stories. Bruce Banner became the Hulk when experimentation with gamma rays went awry. Peter Parker became Spider-Man when he was bitten by a radioactive spider. Bruce Wayne became Batman when Gotham City thugs killed his parents and made him a billionaire orphan. And we became Christians when God pursued us unrelentingly with Hesed. How were you made? How were you created? You were created by Hesed. Hesed is your gamma radiation. It's what turns you into a Christian. Hesed is the radioactive spider. Hesed 
is the removal of whatever was important to you in your previous life that has made you into a Christian. Hesed is what weaned you. It's what flows in your blood. This is who you are. You need to get this. You are a product of mercy, and you were made by the God of mercy. We worship the God of mercy. We are products of mercy. And why? Why were we made? Why were we made? Verse 10, same chapter, Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship, the product of Hesed, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were made for good works. Don't, you were not made to digest every blog post and comments. I feel like Christianity has just been robbed by trying to one-up each other on the next witty way, the next amazing way to say something special about God. Screw that. You were made for good works, not to read and write blog posts only. You were made for good works. God prepared beforehand these good works that you should walk in them. I have five minutes. Oh, that's pretty good. Still five minutes. We are a product of mercy, made by a God of mercy, so that we could show mercy to others. Here's our, our call to mercy. What well, we have heard from Micah 6, Isaiah 58, Luke 10, Ephesians 2 is all the same. Be merciful. Be a dispenser of Hesed. Learn Hesed. Capture it from God's culture into our culture and live it and be it. Um, two, two notes about this. Number one, don't wait for the need to come to you. Don't wait for it to come to you. Why? Because God did not wait for us to come to him. John Stott, I think it's John Stott, he calls Jesus the hound of heaven. What's a hound do? Chases down a scent relentlessly until he gets his prize. Jesus came after you. Go after the poor because Jesus came after you. Number two, don't discriminate against the poor. Here, here's a real micro point, but I want to say this. We're often tempted to think that the people on the side of the road who have two good arms and two strong legs and you're just standing there on the freeway looking for a handout and how did I get the $5 in my pocket? I've been working hard, right? I've been slaving away, making eight bucks an hour and my body is just as apt as your body to go get a job. So why are you begging? Why don't you go do something with your life, right? I feel that in my heart all the time. I'm constantly judging the people that are holding signs on the freeway. Like, what, why don't you go get a job? Why are you standing here 12 hours a day? And so we're tempted to think there are those that are justly poor, victims of war, refugee, orphans, um, people displaced by natural disaster. We think there are the just poor and the unjust poor. And I'm telling you, there is no such thing as a just poor. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. Do you think that Jesus looked at you and saved you 
because you were doing it right. And so he's like, you're doing it right. I'm going to save you. No, the qualification for why Jesus chose you is because you were doing it wrong. The qualification for your righteousness now in Christ was your sin. Look for the unjust poor and minister to them. Do not get hung up. Oh, man, they, they spent all their money on alcohol, right? How often are you going through the grocery store and you see someone who looks obviously poor? And what do they have in the grocery store? Right? They don't shop the perimeter of the store like us, vegetable and meat and deli counter and milk eggs. They shop the lanes, right? Crackers and frozen pizza and Lunchables. Like, why are you buying that stuff, right? Um, don't, don't, don't do that. Do not judge the poor for being unjust. For you were unjust, and I was unjust. We are the unjust poor. There is no such thing as the just poor. Um, You will not find anyone who is worthy of help. You were not worthy of God's help. And that's precisely why he helped you. That is Hesed. Hesed drives away this notion that some people are deserving of our help and others are not. Let's, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll pause there and take any questions or comments. And then I was going to walk through uh, the, the opportunities. Okay, okay. So uh, how about any, any questions or comments that we just talked about? Question. I guess you could talk about like what is strategic to give or to help the poor. Like, should we just give them money if many of them will go spend it on drugs or alcohol or cigarettes? Like, or should we just kind of not think about that and just say, I'm just going to show mercy and compassion and give it them anyways? Yeah, that's Even if they're going to abuse it, kind of talk about how you think about that. Yeah. Um, in the past decade, I have given zero dollars to anyone on the side of the road. Um, because I do believe that it would be a harm to them, okay? Also in the past decade, I have probably spent over $1,000, maybe $2,000 giving money and help to the same people that are on the side of the road, but I have a relationship with them. That's the difference. The difference is have a relationship, even if it's a small relationship. So there was a guy, his name is Xavier Shushuda. He's uh, Togolese, um, came here. He's not an orphan, but uh, his English is not very good. Lived on the street a lot, uh, smoked a lot of uh, marijuana. And uh, he came one day to this front yard barbecue. Man, try having a front yard barbecue sometime. It changes stuff. Backyard barbecue is me and my friends. Front yard barbecue is me and anyone that wants to join us. Um, he came to a front yard barbecue, and uh, I got to know him. And over time, I probably spent about $1,000 trying to help this guy. So I would say, be merciful, be wise, be in relationship. Um, and, you know, if, if you just feel so convicted, man, I, I got to go and stop and talk to this guy. If you pass someone on the freeway entry, pull off, turn around, park your car, get out of it, and go talk to them. Um, if you guys hang out here in Phillips, you'll see a guy named Ronnie. Yeah, I mean, very recognizable guy. Native American, a little taller than me. Uh, 
I think he's got a little ponytail now. But uh, he in the in the in the wintertime he'll wear shorts that are this short and pink pantyhose. And his sign says homeless need pantyhose. Okay? And he stands there like this. Right. So this, this guy is I mean, he's not straight, okay? Not sexually straight nor mentally straight. Uh, so well, when I look at this guy, I just think, man, this guy is broken. He is so broken in so many ways. What, what do you do for him? Well, he also comes to Bethlehem on Sunday mornings to get free coffee. What a gift. So his name is Ronnie. And every morning I drop my kids off, come home, I see Ronnie on the side of the freeway. And I always roll out my window and just say, good morning, Ronnie. And he always says, what time is it? So we have the same conversation every morning. Um, and then at church, I get to talk with him a little more. And man, he is Looney Tunes. He's not there. He's just not home, you know. Um, but uh, the, the, the answer is not money. The answer is relationship. It's relationship, right? It goes back to this Hesed covenant relationship that we're talking about. It's relationship. And yeah, that's a good question. I, that's a vague answer, I know, but I hope it can mold it. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, so it's just a, a lot to do with kind of like individuals engaging individuals. Um, see, what are the places in Christians having kind of like a like systemic problem? Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's that, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I think Christians have a lot to do with it. I would say the mission of the church is to make disciples. Okay. So I'm not going to get Bethlehem. So I, I have a budget and an office uh, at Bethlehem, and it's kind of my job to do neighborhood outreach. But I have not moved Bethlehem toward housing development, equal housing opportunity stuff, because that is the responsibility of Christians, not the responsibility of the church. You understand? So as a pastor at a local church, I don't feel like my budget money is supposed to go to developing Um, solving systemic racism or poverty. But my job as pastor is to disciple you so that you will, all of you, go create nonprofits that help the plight of the poor in our city. And then as a church, I will pray for you. We will help support you. You can use our kitchen to make food for your fundraiser, etc. You understand the difference? I think we we should care very much about that. Can I have a, maybe a paradigm a little bit is thinking with a, a public and personal bid. And so it's seek the welfare of the city and there's this this corporate thing involved in the systemic things and be a neighborhood boards and, and engage at that at that yeah. level and then at the personal level. I think we quickly think of personal and forget the public. And you don't wanna Engage the public and then not doing personal, <laughs> you know. So, um, anyways, we also have a question for you. Um, as you talk about relationship and getting the lives of, of poor, I think the church and Christians, there's so many things that that God cares about that the church is involved in. So, missions, um, the if you want to call them liberal affluent elites. That so you have Lydia, the dealer in purple. And she comes to faith in Christ. Purple is for the rich. It seems that she was a merchant for the rich. 
and that, that kind of thing. And, and um, so we all have these. Um, there's everything, we can't do everything. We want to do some things. And, and maybe how can people, if, if someone's, maybe the way to put it, you have this mainstream thing that you're called to, and other things you can be also have touches in. Mm -hmm. And let's just say, maybe so much of your life is you're a CEO of a bank, and you're in those, in those circles. It doesn't mean that you can just forget about the poor, and that's just not who naturally comes in your, in your way. But how can you still be involved with the poor to a degree, and not feel like it would have to consume everything in your life, and that's like your yeah, yeah I, I think for me, the answer would be uh, Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I mean, who knows? So here's the Samaritan, right? He's traveling from Samaria or Samaria to Jericho. And uh, he's, on the, he's on the Jericho road. We, we don't know what he's doing or what, what his main trajectory was. But you know what? It changed that day. And I wonder if... That kind of person would do that all the time. Uh, let's say he was Lydia's lawyer, right? That was helping her litigate a case about someone didn't pay for her for all the purple that she made them. And uh, uh, here he is, whatever he's doing on the road to Jericho, he became a minister of mercy that day. And that, that's what I would encourage you guys. So some of you may be gripped by Hesed and say, I want to give my life to serving among the poor. Like Jeff Noyed, who's in this book, or Kristen Hink, who's also in this book. Others of you may be called to minister among the elite. Um, I know a guy who's a missionary just to the richest of the rich in the Philippines. But even in that, as you are on your way, remember the poor. When you see them around you, have compassion. Remember that you are a product of Hesed and work to show Hesed. Any other questions, even about opportunity? Yeah, yeah what about, especially for women, like making relationships with people, but we have to be safe too. Yeah. So how do you balance that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm probably not the right person to ask. I'm not a very safe person. I don't, I don't hold safety in high regard. Um, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Don't do any of this alone. That, I think that's one answer. I'm not calling you to be uh, the lone ranger of ministering to the poor. Uh, this, this, is a, this is a group activity. Um, go with someone. Um, like seriously, I mean, it very, it's not listed here, but if you guys want to get directly connected with some uh, poor people, I can get you connected today if you want. We'll go down under the bridge. I'm not kidding. Maybe let, let me let me highlight. Why don't you guys turn to your turn to your deal here? Opportunities to serve right on the middle, page eight. Um, there's my contact info. Uh, text me. That's probably the best. Uh, I really like text because it just keeps it short. Like, just say what you're going to say and do it right there. Um, let, let me just, I'll, I'll blast through these. Backyard movies. There's a family in North Minneapolis. They're going to be inviting their neighbors over. Movies every Friday night at their house. I'm sure they would love you to be there. Just, 
you know, help them set up chairs or whatever it is. Um, just get connected with them. Great family. Crew Inner City. Uh, you have to have background checks to work with them. What they would do, you don't actually work with them. They would send you to different churches to work. Don't know if you want to do that. It's an opportunity to get connected. Harbor Lights Homeless Shelter. Man, if you want to have a lot of crazy fun, uh, go there. Uh, that's the homeless shelter. That doesn't matter how high or stoned or out of your mind you are, they will take you, even in the middle of the night. Most homeless shelters, you have to be there by like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You have to blow, you have to blow zeros, which means you do a breathalyzer and it's 0.0. Uh, it has to be on your uh, whatever breathalyzer. Um, and then there's only a certain number of spaces, but Harbor Light will take anyone. So it is a zoo. Uh, Gardens of Praise. Um, if you like farming and you want to get connected with refugees, there's a great place to, to hook up there. Hope Academy, they've got all kinds of summer programs. They know that they're looking specifically for teachers to teach, they said, like fun, educational, uh, elective courses for the summer school. And I, I don't know what kind of credentials you need to have. I don't think it's paid, so they probably can't require credentials if they're not paying you. My wife's worked there for 10 years. Uh, I'm a mentor there every Monday. Um, so that's a great, great place to get connected. Jericho Road will be lifting boxes and setting up tables with food. Every Friday they have a food distribution. Um, or it'll be counseling and praying with people and helping them find uh, kind of where to go. Um, you know, like bus tickets to a funeral. If they can prove that someone that relates to die, we'll give them money for that, stuff like that. That's, that's another answer to your question. Uh, man, how do we, where should I give my money? If I'm not giving my money to Ronnie on the side of the road, where should I give my money? When you give your money to Bethlehem, Bethlehem gives, I think, $1,400 a month to Jericho Road. Um, so when you're giving to Bethlehem, you are giving to people on the side of the road. Majijin, they're going to run a kids club at Little Earth, which is really unique. Little Earth is actually an Indian reservation right in Minneapolis. And it's taken years for Greg to build up trust in order for him to even use their facilities to work with uh, people there. And you get to just walk right in and be there because of Greg's work. So this is a huge opportunity uh, to run a kids club with Greg. Greg's a great guy, salt of the earth kind of guy. Marie Sandvik, uh, they've also got a kids program and they've got Bible teaching and free dinner for the neighborhood. Uh, all of these people are directly connected to Bethlehem. Either they're members there or, or were sent out by Bethlehem. Um, Phillips Club for Children and Youth. Uh, I don't think the club's actually operating when you guys are around summertime, but you can get connected with the kids for kind of the alternative program that they're doing. I think it's like a every other Monday night in Brennan's backyard, something like that. Yeah, that, that's a really cool one. And then uh, street evangelism. If you want to go and share the gospel with people that you don't know, you can call Dave and go with him Tuesday nights. So. I'm done. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm done. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. So as Mike was talking, and as I thought about that date, June 25th, and doing the Engage Global, this summer we're going to get exposed to a lot of things, and ministry with people on the street, and then Engage Global is the nations in our, in our cities, and for different things last night, there are so many things, and one thing I don't want is that end of the summer, you feel this this frantic, oh, there's so much, and I can only do so much, and, and, and what do I do? So this is very much an exposure summer. And, and like, like Mike was saying, some of you may get hooked 
um, by the Spirit into work with immigrants and different people groups, or with the poor, or with people at work, or this particular neighborhood that I really want to live in. Um, and so just being free to do and to leave undone. That's what Martin Luther said. He put it really well. You're free to do and leave undone. Some of those things are for you. Some of those things are not for you. And if it's not for you, it's for someone else. And let that be for someone else. Okay? Um, that's what love does. Um, but man, I'm so glad Mike coming. And he's so involved with people on the street and, and the poor. And it just stimulates me to not forget. You can't just cast a blind eye to these, these things. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.